everyone to the City of Iowa City uh, uh, 2023 proposed budget meeting. And so we're going to probably get started with our city manager leading us off here in a little bit. Um, I know that there is a lot of content that we're going to have to go through today. And council, if you're, we're going to try to figure out break times and all that stuff as we go along. Um, I'll kind of give a, a little bit of a warning um, as I'm looking around the room and seeing how how we're doing. So, but if at any point you need to excuse yourself and come back, just feel free to do so. I'm going to bring on our city manager, Jeff Ruin, at this time. Welcome. Okay. Thank you, Mayor Council. Good to be here with you on a Saturday morning. Look forward to a, a good long budget discussion. Um, uh, as the mayor uh, noted, um, I think one of the challenges you'll have today is to kind of decide, uh, you know, how deep to dive into some issues versus tabling them for, for additional time. So uh, please feel free to ask clarifying questions as we go along, whether that's in this first initial presentation or uh, with uh, the department heads that will be presenting to you later this morning. <coughs> Uh, but as you get uh, into some detailed items, we, you may just for the sake of time today want to want to pause and and schedule that for uh, uh, more time. So just keep that in mind. I want to start with a couple of uh, thank yous. Um, we have a budget committee that uh, reviews all of the all of the budgets and does all the hard work. Um, uh, you'll notice a familiar face go on uh, at this budget session. That's our uh, former finance director, uh, Dennis Bockenstedt, uh, who uh, left late December. Um, I want to make sure that you all have had a chance to meet um, our finance representatives today that do a ton of work, uh, not only on the budget, but on so many things. We have Nicole Davies, who's our interim finance director, and Jacqueline Flegel, um, who is our budget guru. Um, <laughs> Uh, we're going to be leaning on her pretty hard uh, to uh, help us navigate through uh, the questions and adjustments that uh, you may pursue uh, through these uh, budgets. Also want to thank uh, Rachel and Redmond for their work on the budget this, this year. And there's uh, um, someone that's not here that puts a lot of work into. That's Michelle Cook from our finance department. And when it comes to um, our flip book, uh, that was a new initiative uh, from the finance department this year, and Michelle did a lot of the heavy lifting there. So definitely a team effort, um, and uh, want to thank that budget committee. Um, this is a really uh, important uh, budget year. There, all, all these discussions are important, um, but this is certainly going to be the toughest budget year that, that we've had since I've been here in the last decade. And um, the decisions this year will set the table for probably even a tougher budget year next year. Um, and we knew this was coming. This is the last couple years of the property tax um, reform implementation. So we knew these last two years would be difficult. Unfortunately, they're being compounded with a couple of other factors um, that we didn't necessarily anticipate um, would have as big as impact as they did. So we're going to go through that today a little bit. I mentioned the uh, the flipbook. This is where you can access it. Hopefully, you've had a chance to play around. It's a nice, forward-facing uh, presentation of the budget. Uh, this is new for everybody for us. Uh, hopefully, you saw that we tried to incorporate some videos. Uh, it allowed us to do some more with charts and graphs and things of that nature. 
Um, and we hope to expand on that as we get more familiar with the technology and, and comfort with uh, the videos and all of those things. Um, you can still download a traditional PDF if that's easier for you to work from. Uh, if you have any trouble with that, just let me know. So, um, you know, a budget's a never-ending never cycle, but I, we try to put a review schedule up here just so you are aware. Um, we always like to start with the strategic plan because if we're doing our job correctly as staff, you're seeing your strategic plan throughout this budget document. And so we dated that back to 2020. Council knows that uh, one of your tasks uh, early this, this year will be to uh, adopt a new strategic plan. We did hold a budget work session with council back in September and we're here on that third box doing the operating budget review. Uh, on Wednesday, we'll have a capital improvement plan review. So today's operations uh, next week uh, is going to be focused on those capital investments, those major roads and parks and public facilities, utilities, those types of things. Uh, we'll touch on a little bit of that today, but mostly um, save that for next week. Uh, I, the, the important things to know here, and these are state dictated deadlines, is that we have to set the public hearing for our maximum property tax on February 1st, which means we need to have all decisions made that may influence how high that property tax rate um, uh, or levy needs to be um, really by the end of January, January 25th. So if the council is going to have discussions that will force us to, or that will lead us to have a higher property tax levy and associated rate, that's got to be done in January. Once you set that ceiling of your property tax, um, you can have uh, really the month of February then to go and debate expenditure decisions. We need to have those expenditure decisions uh, made by the end of February. Um, we'll say February 22nd here. Uh, that allows us to set the public hearing for the budget on March 1st and actually hold the hearing and adopt the budget on March 15th. Uh, we have to have the budget um, into the county auditor's office by the end of March. Uh, the, it's a big document. Um, you started to go through that. Uh, we certainly uh, don't expect that you'll be able to read every page. Um, and what I've done here uh, for your future reference is just the, the, the sections of the budget that I really think it's important for you as elected officials to spend some time with. So as you continue to look through this budget, please take a look at these sections. I want to talk a little bit about fund structure. Government fund accounting isn't necessarily intuitive for, for everybody. Um, and I'm going to try to use the laser pointer here. Hopefully you can follow on the, the handouts as well. Um, we have the different types of funds across the top here. And I'll start with the general fund. That's 90% of your discussions during the budget are going to be focused on the general fund. That's where our property tax collections come into. Um, and that's what's going to fund your police, your fire, your parks, your general government operations. So again, 90 plus percent of the council's deliberations tend to be within the general fund. We have special revenue funds, which is the second column here. I like to just describe these as these are funds that have strings attached to them, right? So these are either grant funds like CDBG or home where we have to account for those separately and there's limitations on how we can spend those. Um, we have things like um, our Schmidt accounts in here. Uh, we have our road use tax. So that fuel pump tax that we get, we have, there's only 
um, certain uses that are eligible uh, to, uh, to use those funds on. So we account for those different. So those special revenues that, that have limitations on how you can spend are accounted for separately. The third is debt, pretty self-explanatory. We collect funds to pay off debt that we've issued. Enterprise funds, uh, we'll spend uh, quite a bit of time today, particularly in the public works section, going through enterprise funds. These are business-like accounts. This is our water, this is our sewer refuse collection. Essentially, we operate these like a business, except we don't have that profit motive like a private business would, okay? So we charge the user's fees, we charge you uh, a water fee, and when we deliver you the water, th those fees sustain that operation. So um, whatever we're charging is what we need to operate uh, that system. Capital projects, again, that's uh, really for next week. And then we don't spend a whole lot of time on these internal service funds. These are more internal accounting. This is fleet replacement, ITS equipment, copiers, and things like that. We do chargebacks to different departments to account for usage and that sort of thing. So we don't really spend a whole lot of time uh, within these internal service funds. I want to take a minute to, uh, just to talk about some of the recent budget initiatives. Um, and in recent, you know, roughly last three, four years. Uh, and, and the council's done quite a bit um, uh, uh, during these last years. So I won't go through all these, but you can see we've increased the minimum wage. That had nearly a million-dollar price tag. And that's not a one-time expense. That's with us forever because we lifted those wages. We continue to pay those higher wages. We converted a lot of temporary, which are non-benefited hourly positions, to permanent positions. That carried a cost of about a quarter million. And you can go down the list and see a number of the other things that we've done. Um, the important thing to communicate to you, and, and we're doing a little bit of foreshadowing here, is we've been able to do this because we've had robust growth in our taxable valuations. Um, we've had the flexibility to take on these new initiatives. And um, unfortunately, we're, we're not in that position the next couple of years to be able to tackle some of these these bigger, um, bolder initiatives. But I do want to point out the success uh, that we've had in recent years in advancing these, because a lot of these still tie directly to the active strategic plan of the city council. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the bad news, the challenges uh, up front, and then we're going to get into um, uh, some of the, the focus areas of the budget. So this is not a new slide. This is a slide that has been uh, presented in some way, shape, or form uh, to, to the last probably six or seven councils. Um, these are all the things that we've been watching out for, and it's really been a warning in years past to say, these things are hanging out there and they could create a problem for us. And unfortunately, we do have all these things converging right now. This warning is turning into more of a uh, a reality for us. So commercial backfill. We used to kind of warn the council, backfill is going to be taken away eventually. Well, it was taken away last year, or at least be the, the legislation was passed to f begin the phase out. Um, we've known the multi-residential taxability. So if you own multi-residential property, you're not paying as much uh, taxes as you used to be. And that's that's been an incremental hit to us with the sharpest hits uh, coming uh, this year and next year. Residential rollback, we're going to get into that a little bit, but that's a state factor that tells, uh, tells you how much of your single-family home you need to pay taxes on. All right, You don't pay taxes on 100% of your value. You pay taxes on a roughly 56% of your value. 
um, right now, and that number fluctuates year to year, and that's a number set by the state. And so as that number drops, if the state formula drops that number, that's fewer, that's our tax base kind of being eroded for that year. Uh, stagnation and taxable property growth. This has been one that we really haven't seen over the past decade until now. Uh, we've seen really robust taxable value uh, growth in Iowa City, and unfortunately the last couple years um, we haven't been able to keep up that trend. And then uh, volatility and, and key expense lines. I think we all probably hear the stories of inflationary pressures, supplies, materials, delays, all those things are leading towards more volatile expenses, um, which, which um, are fighting us a little bit now. So I'm going to go through each of these uh, and talk a little bit about them. The state of Iowa backfill. Uh, so this was um, an effort by the state legislature back in 2013. Um, before this reform bill, um, commercial used to commercial properties would pay taxes based on 100% of their value. So if you owned a million dollar property that was commercial in nature, you, our tax rate uh, went into 100% of your value. You paid on that uh, that whole value. The state reduced that to 90%. So now now you only pay taxes on $900,000 of your value if you own that million dollar property. The state said, don't worry cities, we're going to make you whole. And for eight or nine years they did uh, make us whole more or less. We, we used to receive 1.5 million from the state to make up for that gap. Well last year the state said we're going to phase that out. We've been helping you along enough cities, you should be able to, to handle this on your own now. So we're going to go from 1.5 to approximately 1.2 million. Uh, you can see how that's accounted for on the right side. Um, but uh, we're going to lose approximately $340,000 a year in revenue uh, over the next five years. And uh, cumulatively, that'll be about a $7 million impact uh, to our budget. Uh, that $1.5 million, I'd like to give you some context. That's the equivalent of pretty much operating a fire station. You know, if we look at uh, the cost of 15 firefighters, roughly $100,000 per employee with salary and benefits, uh, that's, that's roughly what it takes to operate a, a fire station 24-7. So it's a significant amount of money that we will be losing over the five-year period. Multi-residential, um, this piece um, uh, hurt us quite a bit. And, and if you're a college town, because college towns tend to have more multi-residential property, these are apartments essentially, um, you got hit a little bit harder by this provision of the 2013 reform bill. Um, it used to be prior to 2013 that if you owned an apartment building that was treated like a commercial property. So again, you paid taxes on 100% of that building value. Um, the state said, you know what, we'd rather see apartments taxed at a residential rate. Again, residential rates fluctuate, but it's currently in the 50s, and we'll go through that. So every year, the state has reduced that taxable um, value uh, for, um, for multi-residential properties, and it's taken it from 100 all the way to next year, it'll meet the residential rate, and we won't have multi-residential anymore. It'll just be considered residential. Huge loss to us. You can see some of the stats here. Um, for this year, um, those properties are going to be ta taxed at 63.75% uh, of their value, um, which is a loss of $146 million in taxable value for, for us just in fiscal year 23. That's about uh, a $3 million in lost property tax revenue just for this year. And you look at the cumulative effect over this uh, since the property tax uh, bill was uh, passed, 
it's close to a $14 million hit to us. Uh, in, and that's real revenue. That's not uh, taxable value. That's, uh, that's real revenue to us. So this slide just kind of illustrates that. So if you go all the way back to where we started, you can see uh, multi-residential. That used to be commercial 100%. And you can just see how they've dropped it down. It started off at two years at 5%. Then it uh, went down uh, to you know, 3 to 4% a year. All the way down to this is where we're at now, 63.75. And you know, this hit has, has, has hurt every year. But you can see what's going to happen next year, which is why next year is going to be a really tough budget year. Instead of dropping 3 or 4%, uh, these two numbers have to equal here, and it's going to equal whatever this number is. And you can see that we've been pretty consistent that we're in the mid-50s. We should, we should probably expect we're going to stay in the mid-50s. So instead of a 3 to 4% tax um, or rollback rate drop for, for uh, apartments, you're going to see a 9 or 10% drop in all reality. And that's going to have a huge uh, impact um, on our tax base. And then, again, going forward, there is no multi-residential uh, property classification anymore. So this residential rollback trend becomes a lot more important going forward, okay? So this is the percentage of your, what used to be single family home that's being taxed, all right? So if you own a $100,000 home, every year you pay, we take that tax rate into a slightly different percentage of that value. And you can see it's been up around 81% as a high. This goes all the way back to 1978. Um, and it's been as low as 44% in about 2007 or 2008. Um, currently, we're sitting uh, over here at 56%. And one of the big pressures on this budget is it dropped another 2% this year. So again, if you're a homeowner, that's good news, right? You're going to pay a little bit less taxes. Um, but we have, to struggle with, we have to struggle with that. And you can see the number up there. Um, for every percentage that drops, it's about $800,000 in revenue for Iowa City, 825. We are looking at a 2.3% drop this year. That's 56 to 54. If you strip out the rounding that we did there, it's 2.3%, which means it's a, um, about a $2 million impact to our budget this year. $2 million in revenue that we otherwise would have gotten if that would have just stayed at 56. Jeff, can I ask a question? Yes. How, how does this, is this somehow tied to farmland price? How does the state set these? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a discretionary um, setting by the state. There is a formula, um, and I'd have, to, I'd have to get back to you on exactly what that is. But I believe it has its roots in the agricultural crises um, in the 70s and 80s is, is when they really started to hone in on this. So um, one, of the, uh, one of the major influencers in this, I believe, is agricultural land prices. Well, we can certainly follow up with you and get you more information on that, on that formula. So this is just something to watch, um, particularly as, as uh, multi-residential now or going forward will match this rate. This is going to become a lot more critical for the city, and we, we uh, frankly would just like to see this stable. <laughs> you know, from a budget standpoint, it's nice to be predictable. And when it fluctuates a couple percentage points a year, uh, it can either be a really nice benefit or or a real challenge, like it will be this year. Okay, so this is um, this is getting to the slide on our our taxable growth trends. And one way we look at that is just looking at building permits, right? So, if if we know there's a lot of building activity, usually that is about a one or two year lag, and then you see that um, reflected in our taxable value growth. And so this goes back from 2010 
all the way to 2021. Uh, these are calendar years. So 2021 is a complete year now. Uh, and you can see um, <clears throat> early on in that decade, we were pretty low under, under um, the 100 million mark there. And then you can see we had a, a, a growth up to that 161. We had a really good year in 2016. That was just a couple of large projects uh, coming together all at once. And then we sustained this really high level of growth from 16 to 19. I want you to remember that 16 to 19, that really high level growth. Those corresponding budget years, when you look at 17 through 20, that's when a lot of those recent initiatives that I touched on earlier were accomplished. The minimum wage, the, the temporary to permanent con, uh, uh, conversions. When we have, when we're back down to this level here that we're at, um, we can expect that we're not going to see a whole lot of um, taxable growth because of those low low permit numbers. Now we did get a little bounce back in 2021. That's not a terrible number. That 135. Unfortunately, 35 of that is tied up into one permit. That's the tailwinds permit. Um, so if you strip that one permit out, you're you're still at that 100 million mark. And that Tailwinds project has a TIF associated with it. So that 35 million uh, big value permit isn't going to hit our, our kind of budget um, as immediate as some other projects uh, might. Uh, we did have a really good year in single family homes. We issued 133 single family permits, uh, which is our highest level in four years. It shows the strength of that market. Unfortunately, the commercial industrial market, even multifamily market, um, just wasn't very strong. Uh, these past uh, few years. Okay, so there's a lot going on in this slide, but this is a really important one to connect to your last slide. So what the orange shows is essentially our tax base. We talk about tax base, you can see how it's grown over the last decade. The black line is the percentage of growth in that tax, uh, in that tax base. And I wanna point out a, a couple of things. One, you can just look across the, the percentage growth line and you can see that outside of fiscal year 16 there, you know, seven, three and a half, five, four, eight, three, those are, those are pretty strong numbers. And uh, another important thing to know is the pattern here. And I wanna explain this, up, down, up, down, up, down in terms of the percent. That's because the assessor reassesses properties every other year. So if you own existing property, the assessor will come in and reevaluate your, your property every other year. And that's what you're seeing these spikes in. That's when we get these, these odd year spikes. That's why those are higher. In these other years, um, the only growth you're seeing is new growth, essentially new buildings being added um, because the assessor will assess those as they, uh, as they basically come online. Uh, What's most concerning um, here is obviously this piece of the trend. Uh, this year, this budget year we're talking about is typically a higher year. It's a reassessment year. That means earlier in, in, 20, uh, in, in 21, the assessor would have gone out and reassessed all properties. Um, and we should have seen that trend continue with a bounce back. We didn't. And so that doesn't mean that trend is broken forever. This trend is, is still the predominant trend. That means when I say next year is gonna be even tougher because we'll be lucky to keep that flat. And you can see we've gone down every year where it's not a reassessment year. So this number will probably stay negative. It may drop even further negative. Um, our taxable value dropped a quarter of a percent this year. You see, we haven't experienced that in, in the last um, many years, probably 
have to go back into the 2000s uh, during some of the recessionary uh, times around 2008 to see a negative um, taxable value growth. Now, I will point out that our overall growth, our assessed growth, grew three, about 3.5%. Three so our assessed value grew, but you've got to remember, assessed value and taxable value are two different things. And when I was explaining the, the, the rollback figures, that's where those come into effect. So while we grew 3.5%, that 2% cut to the residential rollback, the drop in the multi-residential rollback, that's what eroded us to get below that one. Essentially, we weren't able for the first time to grow out of those property tax reform um, pressures that we've had. We've always been able to grow more than those cut us, and this time those cuts were deeper than um, our growth. The last slide I'll touch on uh, before turning it over to Rachel is those volatile variable costs. We'd like to just show you a couple of examples. Um, these are things that we typically cannot control or don't have a whole lot of control on. Um, I'll start with property and liability insurance as an example. Um, uh, we've uh, seen uh, over the five years 113% increase in our property and liability insurance, and this is something that a lot of cities are struggling with right now. That's a $610,000 impact to our budget. Um, a big driver of that is cyber liability. I think we've all can appreciate the, the news stories and coverages of, of cyber attacks and, and those sorts of things. Well, that's really put a ton of upward pressure on our insurance rates. Fuel is another thing. Um, we're looking at um, about 58% increase from uh, our actual FY21 uh, to what we're budgeting this year. And that's just, that's not increased consumption. Uh, we're actually doing quite a bit to reduce consumption in our fleet by going to electric vehicles and things like that. But that's just the overall uh, inflationary pressures on petroleum. Okay, so we're gonna uh, turn to a revenue section and I'm gonna uh, invite Rachel up to talk to you through revenue. Okay, good morning. Oh, like Jeff mentioned, um, I'm just going to spend some time here going through the revenue side of things. And I'm actually going to start with just um, a kind of an overview of revenue sources across all of our funds. So on the screen, you see just a breakdown of all of our revenue sources across all city funds. Um, I won't go through each of these, but I just want to hit on two, two of them specifically. So first, that green slice, um, charges for services, that accounts for 23% of all of our revenue. Um, and that really, if you recall, if you think back to, to Jeff's um, presentation on our fund structure, that really uh, pays for our enterprise funds. So that's um, those funds that we operate like a business, your transit, your parking, your utilities, refuse, water, those kinds of things. And then um, the other big slice here is property taxes, which accounts for 35%. Um, and that really uh, helps pay for our general fund, which is on this slide here. So the last slide was all funds, and this is just our general fund. Um, again, I'm not going to go through all of these, uh, but I will call out a couple. So here again, you see a, a small slice, 2% charges for services. All those fees we charge like rec fees, inspection fees, those kinds of things, that accounts for just 2% of revenue coming into our general fund. 
Um, another smaller one I'll call out here is other city taxes. That includes hotel motel tax revenue and utility franchise tax revenue. And that also accounts for just 4% of the money coming into our general fund. The big, the big player here obviously is property taxes. We are heavily reliant on property taxes in our general fund. Um, Redmond will talk a little bit later about what that means for expenditures. Um, but that's why um, you'll hear us talk today uh, so frequently about our concerns with our tax base because we are so reliant on those property taxes to pay for general fund um, operations. So that kind of leads me into my next slide here. Um, this is showing kind of a comparison of our tax base and um, our tax rate over the past 10 or so years. So to do kind of a quick recap of what Jeff just talked about with that valuation trend, that trend in our tax base, um, I've circled in red the, those odd years, those assessment year, those revaluation years where we typically see that growth. And you see that's certainly been the case FY17, FY19, FY21, you're seeing seven and a half, eight and a half percent growth. Um, that's strong growth in our tax base. And then in fiscal year 2023, that last bar, that's where you really see um, that trend bucked. Um, as Jeff mentioned, it's about a quarter of a percent drop. So that means our tax base is actually shrinking in fiscal year 23. Um, and we expect that to also be the case in fiscal year 24. Now this is directly kind of related to our property tax rate because all of those big budget initiatives that um, you heard about earlier, you were able to do that because um, we, we had such strong growth in our property tax base. And we were able to, to dedicate resources to really major initiatives like affordable housing, raising the city's minimum wage, doing those kinds of things without raising the property tax rate. In fact, fiscal year 23 will be our 11th straight year of a property tax rate decrease. Um, and we've largely been able to do that through a reduction in our debt service levy. And again, that, that's credit to the city council um, and finance staff's really prudent debt management strategies. Um, I will note, though, that we have kind of leaned out that debt service levy as much as we uh, think we can. So we, we expect that we'll kind of stay around this property tax rate going forward. And then this is... Um, just a kind of a reminder that the Iowa City property tax rate is just one um, of the total uh, property tax rate that a property owner pays on their tax bill. So um, as you can see here, Iowa City accounts for 41% of the total share. Um, this is called the, the overlapping tax rate. Sometimes you hear the consolidated tax rate. Um, and, and we account for 41% of that share. Um, and then this, this is just kind of, again, showing how we've managed to, to reduce our share of um, that overall property tax rate over the past 10 or so years. You can see back in fiscal year 2012, we were up closer to 43, 44% um, of that total share, and we've dropped down um, to, to about 41%. So property tax owner pays the sum of all of all of the property rate of all of these taxing bodies, um, and we have, have managed to reduce our share of that down to about 41%. This is just a comparison um, of Iowa City's property tax rate with other large cities in Iowa. So um, I'll start with that middle, kind of middle column there, the 2012 tax rate. You can see by that, um, a decade ago, we were 
competing with Council Bluffs for the highest tax rate in the state of Iowa. Um, and it's been a priority of the city council and of the city staff to really to really reduce that, that over the last 10 years. And you can see in that last column um, that we have been successful. We've reduced our tax, um, our property tax rate by about 12%. We've dropped below Davenport, Des Moines, and more recently Cedar Rapids. Um, so now we're settled um, at that 15 points. I'm sorry, $15.67 range, kind of in the middle of the pack. And that is where we expect to stay um, through the years, through the, in the coming years. Uh, as I mentioned, we've kind of leaned out that debt service levy as much as we can. And without any sort of new revenue, revenue source, it would be really difficult uh, to drop into that $14 range. And then over the next few slides, I just want to couple touch on a couple of other major revenue sources. So first, um, on this slide, you see hotel motel tax. If you think back to that um, pie chart of all of the, the revenue sources that we take in, you'll recall that hotel motel tax was a smaller percentage of that, one and a half, maybe 2% or so of the revenue that, that we're bringing in there. Um, but nonetheless, it is a nice revenue source for us. As you can see in fiscal year 23 and in years past, we typically bring in about a million dollars there. Um, there was a bit of a depression uh, during the pandemic, but we anticipate that, um, that that will return to normal in the coming years. Uh, the utility franchise um, tax as well. So the state of Iowa permits cities to adopt a, util a utility franchise tax on gas and electric uh, utility bills up to 5%. Iowa City currently ha has a franchise fee rate of 1%. So we do have a bit of capacity to grow there, about 4%. Um, as you can see, that 1% rate returns just around a million dollars uh, sometimes lower and that volatility really comes in uh, due to climate and weather so hotter summers colder winters um, the more that a resident is using their heating and cooling systems that all um, contributes to kind of the volatility uh, here And then road use tax. So um, Iowa City uh, uses our road use tax to fund our annual uh, re pavement rehab program. Um, and you can kind of see uh, a little bit of the history of what we've been bringing in in road use tax over the years. So way back in uh, around fiscal year 2012, that was just a little, a little bump we got from that 2010 census. Um, around FY15, 16 is when the state bumped their fuel tax to 10 cents, um, bringing in a little bit more for us. And then um, in fiscal year 22, we expect that we again will see a little bit of a bump um, from that uh, from the 2020 census. We don't know what that is um, quite yet, um, but we do expect to see a small increase. Um, I will say that uh, this has not been, and I'll talk about this later, but this has not been growing at the pace that um, our pavement rehab needs have been. So um, like I said, I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit later in the presentation as well. And then local option sales tax. This, of course, is the one revenue source I'm talking about today that um, we, we do not have. Iowa City did have, um, you may recall, after the 2008 floods, we, the voters did approve a um, four-year local option sales tax. During that time, um, we brought in about $8.8 .8 million a year. And though that helped to fund really major uh, flood resilience projects like the Gateway Project, um, the South Wastewater Treatment Plant Facility, and the creation of Riverfront Crossings Park. Um, that lost expired in fiscal year 2013. Um, but as you can 
can see many of the other city major cities in Iowa um, do have a local option sales tax and you can kind of see um, on this slide what what the, what they use that for uh, and that option does remain open to Iowa City with uh, approval of the voters. So that's kind of a, a, an overview on the revenue side of things. I'm gonna hand it off to Redmond and he's gonna go through the expenditure side. Good morning, council. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Um, as you know, I'm like four months in. Um, <laughs> so I've been doing a crash course on the budget. I wanna thank staff and I think Jeff hit uh, right on it's incredible uh, just to watch staff pull pull all this stuff together um, so I uh, definitely share uh, the pain of the new counselors uh, trying to take in all this information uh, so um, I'm going to do a, a little cameo and and my and that's going to be the expenditures um, our first slide here oh I, I got okay sure there we go um, First slide here is um, a, a chart. It's, it's kind of basic, but I also find it, you know, uh, interesting. Um, obviously, your eyes tend to go to the uh, the anchors uh, of the uh, charts, uh, the uh, business type um, activities. Uh, obviously, 53 million that sticks out. Um, capital projects also 47 uh, million that sticks out, and then public safety is also. Uh, one of those things that's constantly uh, in in uh, um, the public's eye, and and that's at 23 million. So let's kind of talk about what kind of makes up those activities, um, business type activities. Obviously, the things uh, in this name, the things that uh, the city does that uh, reflects uh, uh, business um, uh, uh, processes and things of that nature. Those are going to be things like uh, transit, uh, parking. Uh, water, uh, wastewater, um, capital projects. We're going to be, you know, spending time talking about that, obviously, in our CIP uh, process and work sessions. Um, public safety is one that maybe folks don't, um, you know, readily identify things like code enforcement, obviously police and fire, but also um, housing inspections and building inspections, really key pieces uh, to having a safe community. Um, I think um, the interesting part of this slide, if, if you will, if we were able to make this three-dimensional, um, the public tend to also think that these are competing interests many, uh, many of the times, uh, that if you, you take, uh, if you build up one, you have to take away from another. Uh, but I would argue that if we were able to look down on this as, and look down on the pillars, that it would actually um, make a circle. And, and that uh, the success of one pillar actually helps the other pillars. So, you know, essentially, at the end of the day, um, if they're well-managed, well-balanced, uh, that these expenditures will help uh, ratepayers and taxpayers justify their investment in those services that they're getting. Uh, our next slide is um, focused on um, the general fund expenditures. Uh, the, the previous slide was all the expenditures. So obviously, um, you can tell right off the bat that um, personnel uh, makes a big chunk of that. Um, there is no doubt 
that uh, about the fact that a human asset in any organization, particularly high performance organizations, uh, the human asset is going to be the most important piece of that organization. Um, and that's no difference here. You can see that 71% um, uh, of our um, general fund goes towards personnel expenses. If we drill down into, into that a little bit more, uh, we'll actually see those numbers. Um, I think one of the things that uh, is striking here is uh, personnel is pretty a, a pretty solid, uh, stable, uh, but always growing um, uh, expenditure. Uh, you're going to have uh, hard costs, benefits, um, pensions, and these things, they don't tend to go down. Uh, they always tend to go up, and um, they're often the key to having a um, strong and happy uh, human asset, which you count on uh, to deliver the services, which justifies um, your ratepayers and your property taxpayers being happy with the services they're getting, which then feeds into all everything else you're doing. So it's it's kind of a, a circle that feeds off of off of itself, and it kind of starts with your personnel. Um, but the challenge in tight tighten uh, tighten budget years, uh, other things have to give. So um, some of the things that would would be uh, naturally uh, vulnerable to that are things like services, and we'll we'll get back to the contingency. Um, supplies, and then uh, you can't build as many things, so your capital outlay um, is is always vulnerable. Uh, the contingency here kind of sticks out, um, but that's actually a planning process for expansion for our new fire station, the personnel pieces of that. So um, the city's been really smart, and you'll see this kind of trending um, through many of the other um, aspects of the budget is that the city has done really well in planning <coughs> for uh, growth um, in, and planning for uh, these type of contingencies, and that, that's one of them. So let's talk a little bit about debt services. There's <coughs> probably three main areas. Uh, that the count, uh, council should uh, focus on when you're thinking about our debt service. Uh, one, probably the most important, is the state laws that's, that uh, basically limits the uh, debt service to no more than 5% of the total assessed property value of the city. So um, we're in a really good spot. Uh, we utilize about 18.8% uh, of the allowable uh, debt limit. Um, the city also has uh, um, strong um, internal uh, processes uh, that also um, limit uh, the um, levy not to exceed 30% of the city's uh, levy in the fiscal year. Uh, right now, we're at about half of that at 15.8%. Um, Excuse me, I'm having a hard time breathing through my mask. <laughs> so, um, so, um, and then uh, th this third um, column is is really um, about uh, our uh, AAA bond rating, and 
This is a really impressive piece, and I'll go into how rare uh, having a AAA bond rating is. Uh, but Moody's, which is an a independent um, credit uh, rating uh, agency, uh, has given uh, the city of Iowa City the highest rating um, based on its uh, past uh, fiscal uh, de deliberations and dedication and um, investments, um, which has made Iowa City a very strong and safe investment for uh, investors who um, seek out municipal bonding and things for that in their portfolios. Um, so for, for those at home, uh, it would be more like uh, having a great um, credit score from TransUnion when you tr try to go out and buy a car. Um, obviously, the higher your credit score, the better deal you will get on your car. So as we move forward to uh, make investments in infrastructure and things of that nature, um, having a strong credit score, having a strong rating, AAA, allows us to get more for the tax dollars that we invest. So this slide just kind of shows how rare that is. Um, this is um, a look at all U.S. cities. Um, <clears throat> we're in like the 12.4 percent uh, across the nation look. Uh, this slide is focused in on how we are doing in the state of Iowa. Um, and there's only four communities in the state of Iowa that has a rating of this, of this nature. Um, so that's uh, Cedar Rapids, which has recently just got that, West Des Moines, and Clive, and ourselves. Um, looking at West Des Moines and Clive, those are suburban communities. <clears throat> so managing older infrastructure and tr uh, traditional neighborhoods and all those kind of things, they don't necessarily have all that. Their infrastructure is brand new. They just built uh, new subdivisions and things like that. So they haven't gotten to the point where you have to start paying to maintain those things. So it's a little easier for them to get to that level uh, than a diverse um, community of, you know, traditional uh, neighborhoods and things of that nature like Iowa City. So it just kind of just bolsters how well the city has done in managing that. So I'll turn it over to Jeff. All right, so we're going to jump into um, our enterprise funds. These are those funds that uh, we operate more or less like a business. And, and there's, a, there's a lot on this slide. Um, it's there for reference. I just want to, I'm going to highlight a couple of things. One, with this budget proposal, we are not uh, recommending any uh, rate increases to water, wastewater, uh, parking, transit, landfill, uh, or stormwater. But we are recommending a $3 per month increase in this refuse line item here, okay? So this is the curbside pickup. If you have a single family home or if you're in a, a dwelling of four units or less, the city uh, has that cart program where we, we pick up weekly. Um, uh, you can see um, this is even with the $3 uh, increase. We're really just getting to the point where these are estimated revenues coming in 4.4. .4. Uh, expenditures are at 4.6 so we've been running a little bit of a deficit in this fund and it's been shrinking our fund balance um, we think with this three dollar rate increase that will get to a pretty stable leather uh, level you can see it's still a deficit this year but there's some one-time expenditures in there 
um, that we think will level off. So um, it doesn't get us to a super comfortable place, but uh, we're trying to balance the pressure on residences and fees with really what we need to operate this service and, and have a safe fund balance. We do have a, a healthy fund balance of about 23%. So a little bit of a deficit um, does not uh, have a huge impact on us. I did want to point out a, a couple other funds that are highlighted here. Uh, we'll stay uh, right below that with landfill. You can also see in landfill we're running a deficit. We have some significant capital needs out at the landfill. Uh, we've got some new buildings, new cell developments, and things of that nature. So this is an intentional deficit. Um, we've got to see once we get a few of these capital projects under our belt how those bids come in. Um, and how they impact operations, but this is definitely on our radar. Uh, we may need to be looking at a tipping fee increase at the landfill in the coming years. And so the landfill operates based on the fee you pay when you, when you come into it. Um, one thing to keep in mind though, as we raise the landfill rate, it hits the, the refuse account, right? So we, we pay that too. We don't get a free pass in the landfill. Um, so if we raise the landfill rate and we know we've got a pretty tight refuse, you can expect that even a refuse may need to be bumped. So that's just kind of on your radar. We'll watch that in future budgets. Uh, transit is the other one uh, I wanna point out here. We're gonna talk a little bit more about transit later. Um, we are uh, running uh, still a little bit of a surplus in here. We've been uh, benefited from a lot of COVID relief dollars, particularly with the CARES Act that have really stabilized uh, some operations there. Um, but we still have some significant concerns in, in transit. Um, <coughs> Uh, most notably our ridership. We still have not uh, come close to recovering to pre-COVID levels. And uh, again, we'll get into that a little bit more uh, uh, later on in this presentation. You can see we do have a pretty healthy fund balance in transit, um, both restricted and unassigned. Um, that is largely because we've been saving up to have a competitive match for federal grants. So we wanna replace our transit buildings, a major initiative of ours. We know that if we have a 20, 30% match, we'll be more competitive for those federal grants. So that's why you're seeing us carry a, a bigger fund balance. And that's what we're trying to do in operating with the surplus here is move that to a fund balance to help pay for that new facility. I do want to talk about the water shutoff policy. Um, this, is, this is one of those items we probably can't get into today, but it needs to be on your radar. We probably need to have a discussion on it sooner rather than later. Um, at the onset of COVID, uh, the city made a decision uh, to suspend the practice of shutting off water. Much like any utility account, if you don't pay, the traditional way to recoup that payment has been to disconnect service, whether you're talking about electric or water or whatnot. Um, We've twice talked to council about uh, reinstating this policy because of the financial impact it's having on us. Um, and the council has chosen not to reinstate that policy um, yet. Um, where we stand today, we have about $600,000 in uncollected uh, revenues. That number continues to grow. Um, and there was some hope that with all the state relief and other relief programs that, that we would make up those dollars. Um, you can see that we've gotten about $140,000 uh, to our water utility uh, from those relief programs. <clears throat> so um, uh, we definitely, they, they definitely are not keeping up. They've been helpful, but they are, are definitely not keeping up with the, the number of accounts and the, the dollar amounts that are, un, that are going uncollected. Uh, we will need to consider that, you know, essentially when we have uncollected accounts and we don't have a a serious way about collecting those dollars, all the other ratepayers in the system take on that burden. 
so that six hundred dollars six hundred thousand dollars has to be uh, shouldered by all the rate uh, other rate payers the longer we go and the higher that gets it's going to put more pressure on us to raise water sewer refuse rates stormwater rates um, uh, to compensate for those uncollected uh, revenues so again just something that needs to be on your radar something that we definitely need to to visit early in uh, 2022 again we're getting into kind of some summary slides here um, want to talk about the property tax impact to the kind of average house um, so um, we'll walk you through this example this is fiscal year 22 versus the budget we're proposing today and if you uh, we use a hundred thousand dollars for an assessed value of a house that's not because that's the average assessed value in Iowa City it's just more simple to do the math if you have a two hundred thousand dollar assessed value or three hundred you should be able to eat more easily do the math so to show you how this all works, if your home is assessed at 100,000, um, you can see that the taxable value is 54,000 next year, 130. Remember that ties to that rollback. That rollback rate is 54%. And you can see it, it's currently at 56, going to 54. So you're paying your taxes on a, a lower amount of your value. We, we uh, multiply our levy into that and you actually end up paying this amount. So this year, if you own that $100,000 house, you're paying $884 in property taxes to the city. That actually goes down $38. So that's that rollback effect. Now, keep in mind your assessed value may go up, so that, that could be you know, washed out. And also keep in mind, we don't know what the school district or the county or Kirkwood may do with their tax rate. So this isn't an absolute for any residential owner, but it illustrates what the impact of our rate may be on, a, on an owner. <clears throat> we essentially take this information, you can see on the top, <coughs> excuse me, you can see the $38 uh, dollar decrease at the top here, and then we layer in all our other traditional fees, um, utility fees, to show what the total impact would be. And you can see here, stormwater the same. This is the $3 per month refuse increase. So you can see a $36 increase there and then everything else stays the same. So the total impact is, is about a wash. It's about 0%, a little, little, little bit into the negatives, but a $2 savings uh, for that $100,000 uh, home. All right, I'm going to turn it back over to Rachel, who's going to talk about some areas of focus. So we have talked a little bit today about some of those concerns we do have, um, but I also think it's important for the city council to know that um, in, in all operating budgets, we do prioritize um, our funds for uh, the city council strategic plan objectives, adopted master plans, and enhancing any core services um, that we are able to. So I want to talk a little bit about um, some of those things. So first on this slide um, is a, a little bit about our climate action efforts. Um, as you may recall, a few years ago, the city council um, created an office of climate action and outreach. And at that time, they also approved um, a 24 cent emergency levy, which is dedicated to implementing the climate action plan and the city council's emission reduction goals. Now the staffing is not tied to the emergency levy that is general fund um, general funded out of the general fund. Um, so emergency levy revenue is directly paying for all climate action programs, incentives, um, education efforts. 
Um, and in, in the past few years, that has been bringing in about a million dollars. Um, now we have had some staff vacancies and some reduced capacity, which has accumulated a bit of a balance there. Um, we expect that we'll be at full staffing by spring uh, of 2022 coming up here. Um, but for fiscal year 2023, we are actually recommending a, just a four cent drop in that emergency levy. That'll bring in around $850,000. And this is the level that we've identified as being sufficient to carry out those climate action initiatives. Um, it'll enable us to spend down a little bit of that balance that we have accumulated. Um, and importantly for you to know, that does open up um, a little bit um, of capacity in that emergency levy. The state allows you to levy up to 27 cents um, in that levy. Um, so if there were other initiatives that the city council wished um, to direct that uh, funding to, that opens up a little capacity there. Um, but just talking a little bit about some of the accomplishments that we've been able to, to achieve in the past year. Um, our Climate Action Office held the first annual energy blitz in the South District neighborhood. They're planning to expand upon that um, in the coming years. We held our first in-person week-long climate action festival. Uh, we 30, 333 households uh, participated in our Root for Trees tree voucher program. We continued um, our climate action grant program and we launched um, some commercial and industrial energy efficiency matching grants. Coming up uh, that we have planned uh, with our fiscal year 2023 proposed budget, um, we'll be focusing on resilience, um, especially in underserved neighborhoods, expanding residential energy efficiency programs and incentives, um, making some improvements to city facilities to improve energy efficiency and electrification, um, and then implementing an EV readiness plan that was completed uh, in the past year. Rachel, if I could stop you for a second. Yeah. Um, so just to summarize, the four cent overall proposed reduction in the um, general levy is based on this four cent reduction? Correct. Yep, okay. that's correct. And then just, I think I might have misheard you, but the personnel costs uh, in the climate division, I guess, yep. do come out of this or don't? They do not. So there are three authorized um, personnel for the Climate Action Office, and those are funded out of the general fund. Okay, thank yep. you. Yeah, just real briefly, the, the reason that we do that is is recognizing that this is a unique property tax source. You know, it, it is to address emergencies, and uh, you know, should we have uh, a natural disaster or some other major emergency come on, council may want to say we need to shift away from some of these educational efforts and and grant efforts and fund whatever the the emergency at hand is and we didn't want to have staff subject to those wins so by putting staff on the property the general fund kind of property tax levy it would allow us to make changes to the emergency level without the pain of layoffs um, uh, standing there so it, it just is intended to give you and future councils more flexibility Okay, then I'll go ahead and move on um, to a uh, so, slide on social justice and racial equity. This, of course, has been um, a major strategic objective of the City Council for several years. Um, typically, our operating budgets do include several investments, and for fiscal year 2023, um, that's no different. So a couple of, of items that we're recommending in, in the upcoming budget include a $25,000 increase to the Social Justice and Racial Equity Grant Program. That would bring that total program up to $100,000. 
Um, we're recommending actually an elimination of all library fines um, for all patrons. This, the library has not been charging fines throughout the pandemic. Um, and believe that, th that this is the time to, to kind of follow the national trend and the trend across the state to eliminate fines as an equity issue. Uh, the 23 budget recommends a new annual commitment of $25,000 set aside specifically to support BIPOC business growth and entrepreneurship. Um, we include funding to support our community's crime, I'm sorry, crisis response efforts. Um, we include funding to, to help sponsor um, partnerships and events, including the cr annual Criminal Justice Summit, Juneteenth, and um, MLK Day. And then we include funding um, to, to make accessibility and ADA improvements um, at sidewalks, parks, and to sponsor an annual ADA event. Um, I do also want to mention that uh, in June of 2020 with the Black Lives Matter resolution, the City Council had decided to set aside a non-recurring amount of $1 million for racial justice um, activities. And uh, that, that funding was carried over. It, remain, it has not been spent to date um, and remains available for Council's uh, use. Our Aid to Agencies grant program um, is considered an important part of our social justice and racial equity efforts. So this grant program provides some uh, operating assistance to um, local non-profits uh, and social service agencies. Um, in fiscal year 2018, the council decided to set aside 5% for what is uh, called emerging, emerging um, social service agencies. Um, and each year, about $100,000 in CDBG funds or Community Development Block Grant funds are dedicated to the aid agencies program. And then we supplement that with the general fund dollars. And the council has made it a priority in recent years to really bolster and enhance this program. Um, you can see kind of the history of that on this slide here. In fiscal year 2020, the city council decided to fund all applications, which effectively doubled that program. Um, they again increased that amount in fiscal year 2021. And then last year, um, the city council in that approved budget included a 3.5% increase. And that was made with the expectation that going forward, an annual 3% um, increase would be added to this program just to keep up with inflation. So accordingly, for fiscal year 2023, um, we are recommending another 3% increase. That brings the general fund support for the aid to agencies program to just over $600,000. Um, affordable housing, of course, is a, a major uh, priority of both the city council, city staff, and the community. Um, so in the past four or five years, um, $1 million in general fund dollars has been um, allocated to affordable housing. Um, and over these past five years, since fiscal year 2017, this has resulted in about 9.6 million um, in affordable housing investments. This has assisted more than 1,286 affordable units, and this does not include rental vouchers, public housing, or workforce tax credits. Um, additionally, that has leveraged almost 10 million in outside low-income housing tax credit or LIHTC funding. Now, the, the ability to leverage that, um, that amount of money is, is really, I'd say, in large part due to the City Council's decision to allocate about 70% of that annual $1 million to the Housing Trust Fund of Johnson County. Um, the Housing Trust Fund uh, administers those dollars. 20% of, of all of that money they receive is set aside specifically for LIHTC projects. And then the remaining amount is uh, administered through a revolving loan program. So as loan repayments are made, they are able to cycle those funds back through um, to act on more affordable housing 
project opportunities. Um, so in addition to that, then that other, what remains of that annual $1 million is broken out as follows. 7.5% is dedicated to an opportunity fund. 7.5% is dedicated to the city's healthy homes program. 10% uh, goes to the, the community's security deposit assistance program and a risk mitigation fund. And then 5% is reserved for emergent situations. Now this $1 million in general fund support does not stand alone. Um, an important part of the city's affordable housing strategy has been the creation of new revenue streams to support affordable housing. And one way we've done that is through uh, development agreements, TIF and annexation negotiations. Um, essentially, uh, when, a, when a project doesn't involve affordable housing units, then uh, the city works to collect affordable housing payments in exchange for incentives such as height or density bonuses, um, TIF, revenue, those kinds of things. So in, in green here is an example of what kind of revenue that does bring in. In Riverfront Crossings District, we've collected about $980,000 to date. Through the Foster Road TIF, um, we expect to receive about $2.7 over the next 10 years. And then with the Tailwinds development that was just approved in the last year or so, um, that, that developer paid uh, $1.8 million to our affordable housing fund, and that actually facilitated the purchase of eight duplex units in the South District, which the city will rehab um, and uh, incorporate into our South District home ownership program. So um, you can you can really start to see how that uh, how that impact um, turns out, and. It's just important, again, to, to think of this as a kind of holistic affordable housing strategy. We have that $1 million in annual general fund allocations. We have those loan repayments coming through the housing trust fund, compounding little by little each year. And then we have um, these new development streams that we work to get through uh, development agreements. And, and all of this just helps to, to act on more affordable housing opportunities with deeper levels of affordability and more longer term affordability. And then investments in roads. So I talked to you a little bit earlier about um, our road use tax revenue and our annual pavement rehabilitation program is tied to that road use tax revenue. So um, what you're seeing here is just our annual um, pavement rehab program. This does not include those major road projects um, that you do see in the CIP. Um, and as I mentioned before, uh, what we're taking in in road use tax isn't necessarily keeping pace uh, with our road rehab needs. When you kind of combine that with um, some of our concerns for that revenue source, things like imp fuel efficiency improving, lower fuel prices, and an undercount of a potentially suppressed count in the 2020 census, um, we'll, we will have concerns about whether uh, that road use tax will be able to to continue to sustain our level of needs there. Um, and so ultimately what that means is that we're gonna have to bond for, for more roads. Um, this, is a, this is kind of an, a, a schedule of up, major upcoming road projects that are included in our CIP. I won't go into these into detail. You'll have your CIP work session next week um, where you'll have that opportunity. But again, these are separate from that annual re pavement rehab program. So these are CIP funded, not funded by the road use tax. Um, and just an example of some of those large needs that, that we'll need to bond for um, to, 
taking that bond capacity away from parks, trails, those kinds of things. Uh, one road project that I do want to call your attention to here is that last one, the Market and Jefferson Street two-way conversion project. Uh, last year we did hear um, some support from council for, for getting that back into the CIP. So we've included that in 2026. That's about when our staff expect those signals may be ready for replacement um, and for from both a financial responsibility standpoint and just a resident disruption standpoint, it makes sense to do those two things together. Um, I'm going to talk about a couple of master plan implementations, parks on this slide and bike on the next. So uh, a couple of major uh, improvements through our parks master plan that we made in the past year is some accessibility and drainage improvements at both of our dog parks. Uh, some ecological restoration work at Hickory Hill Park, Terry Trueblood, and Whispering Meadows. And then we've recently added some shaded bench swings and public art um, installations at the Riverfront Crossings Park. In the fiscal year 22-23 budgets, um, some upcoming uh, improvements that are budgeted, uh, Glendale Park, some playground and shelter improvements are in Glendale Park, the Pedestrian Mall, Chattuck Green, and Court Hill Park. And then we have some plant accessibility improvements in Harlock Hill Park, Oak Grove, and Ryerson Woods, which will be paired with some ecological improvements there as well. And then our bike master plan, uh, in the coming, in the, the projects that we have planned in 2022-2023 um, will really help improve connectivity in the South District neighborhood um, for bikers. So a couple of projects that we have coming up for bike lane, we have bike lanes planned on Southgate Avenue, West Benton Street, and Rochester Avenue. Bike boulevards will be installed along Weatherby, Hollywood, and Lakeside. We have four to three lane conversions planned on Madison and Keokuk that will add bike lanes uh, to both of those as well. The Highway 6 pedestrian trail um, will be expanded from Fair Meadows to Hines, adding some connectivity there. And then a side path is planned in, uh, in, in conjunction with the American Legion Road reconstruction project. Um, so with that, I'm gonna turn it back over to Jeff. He's gonna talk about um, some upcoming facility needs. Okay, home stretch, I promise, Council. Um, uh, th this is a really important thing for me, um, and I, I want to spend a couple of slides talking about that uh, as we wrap up here. I think it's really, really important um, that we continue to, to really focus and commit to updating some of our substandard city facilities. We have a lot of facilities that were built uh, either for a community that was much smaller uh, than Iowa City um, and uh, certainly aren't maybe meeting some moder modern standards that we like, not only for the public, but for our employees as well. I want to say we, we, we uh, cannot express to you enough how much of an impact the new streets buildings for public works has had. Um, Ron can talk a little bit about that later today in his presentation, but that has made a world of difference for those employees and for our operations. Some real efficiencies there. We think we need to continue to look at that. We've been really focused as a staff on the financial piece of this in budget years, and you can see on the right how we've created a facility reserve, and we've been really diligent to trying to dedicate uh, funds to that. We've built that up to about $13 million. However, Facilities are expensive, um, and you can see the list on the left side. When we talk about a transit facility, equipment maintenance facility, renovations at this building, uh, we know that we have fire station expansions and modernizations that are needed. Uh, we're going through a parks uh, and rec master plan, which will focus on the pool and the rec centers. Um, 
any one of those projects could could take up all or or most of that 13 million. Uh, so that 13 million is great, but it doesn't go very very far. We need to be diligent about continuing to identify funds to help facilitate these. And they don't all have to be paid in cash, but there are some uh, bonding limitations that we have for some of these uh, facilities. So you see the list there of kind of the priorities that, that we have identified as staff. Um, and in the CIP, you'll see some of these start to show up. So we're really going to be more aggressive in, in presenting these to you. Um, outside of the facilities reserve, we also have an emergency reserve. Just want to report out that that balance is staying stable at 5.1 million. This is really um, uh, to be used at council's discretion for emergencies. And that uh, you can see some of the, the, the types of emergencies that we might anticipate. Um, we've used this for land acquisition, for flood resiliency. Um, but as we have uh, volatility in revenue sources, um, we could use this as a short-term gap uh, to avoid more drastic financial measures. Um, and that can also be used to help facilitate um, or close any final gaps with facility improvements. This budget does include uh, 3.74 FTEs, and I want to uh, walk through uh, those. Most of those FTEs um, are outside of the general fund, so are not property tax dependent. We have an, uh, uh, an electrician for our traffic engineering unit. Um, uh, just as we've increased signalization, we've added decorative lights to bridges and stages and things like that. Um, it really, uh, really helpful uh, to to have uh, an additional uh, electrician on staff that can help troubleshoot uh, those issues. Uh, in the transportation services uh, division, we have a program assistant um, just to help facilitate a, a lot of the, the the projects identified in the uh, transit plan. Um, one of the reasons that we uh, are asking for a $3 rate increase on refuse is to add another uh, refuse employee. We have seen uh, growth in the community. We have seen more usage of curbside collections, particularly on the yard waste and organics. And uh, uh, that position's really needed just to, to make sure we're completing those daily, daily runs on time. The two general fund positions are actually just expansions of existing part-time positions. Uh, one's a creative assistant in our communications. Um, as we do more graphic design, as we get into um, uh, reviewing more and more documents that are digital for uh, ADA compliance needs, we could really use those additional hours for that staff person. And then an NDS, uh, the program assistant position, uh, this is, again, an existing position that's part-time. Um, and as we've done more affordable housing, we have more compliance, right? So we have, to, we have to check those riverfront crossings units. We have to check those TIF units for compliance for 10, 20-year periods, whatever that may be. And, and, and that staff could really use some extra hours to help focus in on those efforts. So again, uh, 3.74. Uh, um, this does not uh, come close to kind of uh, meeting the needs of departments. And, and uh, just to let you know, we, we had... Um, uh, a close to, um, I think I might have, uh, I think I might have the wrong numbers here, but I, I think we had well over um, 15 positions requested by staff. I can, I can uh, uh, follow back up with you later today with that exact number. Um, but there's a, a lot of needs, and you may hear some of that from your department directors today. We certainly want to try to provide them the resources they need to efficiently carry out their services, but also have to balance that with the, the acute financial challenges. Jeff, did, did, did I see, or maybe I 
read it wrong in the budget that a, a position to help to help um, with the cyber issues. Yeah, so we we actually um, took that to council probably a couple of months okay. ago, and we asked for that position to be approved outside of the budget cycle uh, okay. because there's some more urgency to that matter. That position has been posted and has been filled. And does does that in any way help with our some of our insurance costs to have someone actually dedicated to that? Um, I don't know, I, I, kind of looking at the finance, it probably doesn't hurt, but it wasn't a decision we made because we knew we would get an X percent reduction. Um, I'm sure as, as our insurance uh, policy um, holders would, would review us, um, they would appreciate that and t factor that in, but it wasn't to uh, hire this position and get this type of reduction type of scenario. All right, um, just kind of looking ahead, uh, preview to next year and next budget. Uh, a, a lot of our time is going to still be focused on COVID recovery. We know we have the ARPA program. That provides us a great deal of opportunity to have a, a huge long-term impact on our community. Um, it's going to take a lot of staff time to do that. So in terms of new initiatives, there's a lot of new initiatives that are going to come with ARPA, and that's going to really focus our time. Uh, probably on your next council meeting, you will see a request for a uh, temporary position in NDS to help with grant compliance and uh, ARPA administration. Um, we, we do have the ability to use uh, administrative dollars as part of those grant awards, and we really feel that's going to be necessary for us just to keep pace uh, with a lot of those ARPA programs. I think you're familiar with what we're working on now. Council will, will uh, uh, in the next few weeks, get a kind of an email or a, sorry, a memo summary from the city manager's office outlining where we stand with ARPA. We know your next work session, you're gonna be talking about the direct relief program as well. So um, a lot ahead on that. Our transit service expansion, I think council knows Sunday service is next on our list. We were hoping to be able to implement that uh, this winter or spring. Uh, more realistically, it's probably summer of 22. Um, council probably was aware that we had to reduce frequency on a bus route for a period of time this past fall because of driver shortages. Um, we are still struggling to just fill uh, our, our current routes with drivers. Uh, we have a lot of supervisors that are having to drive buses uh, because we can't keep pace with that. Uh, and that's been a challenge that's, uh, for, for two reasons. One, it's going to be hard to expand service when we can't really run our service right now. But two, the folks who are planning that expansion are spending time driving buses. And so we're a little bit behind on the planning side of, of things too. Um, but we will get there. And uh, uh, we, again, we are aiming for this summer for a launch of that program. We're still down 40 to 50% from COVID. Uh, if you look at pre-COVID numbers and our, our current ridership, uh, that, that worries us. Um, we have seen some great improvements. Uh, we're up over 100% over last year. Uh, you know, those, that first year of COVID, we've really had good growth, but we just haven't come all the way back yet. And we're uh, obviously still working through COVID right now and just not sure what long-term ridership looks like, but that's an important piece of that financial model. We do plan to pay for the two-year uh, pilot on Sunday service with one-time uh, grant dollars. Uh, those are CARES Act dollars largely, and that's just something that council is going to have to consider. We still have not identified a long-term funding source for Sunday service, which is going to be probably close to $1.5 uh, all said and done, to add that one day of service. 
uh, roadway, we've hit this pretty hard, um, but uh, council in early 21 received a, a pavement management program report. We currently are in good position relative to our peers throughout the state. Um, and, and we should feel really good about that because we're the only one that doesn't have a local option sales tax to help support us. Um, but the plan clearly showed and the projections clearly show that if our funding levels are stagnant, which they currently are, we're going to see that overall condition of our roads uh, start to uh, start to drop. And of course, at that point, repairs become more costly. So uh, I just want to keep that on your, your radar. Um, we talked about facility planning. This just kind of repeats that. There's going to be a lot of staff work uh, this coming year in prioritizing on facility planning. Uh, in the CIP, you're going to see uh, transit facility, equipment maintenance facility, um, renovations at this building, and city park pool um, identified uh, in the CIP to be funded. Um, all those things, we have a fairly good idea on, on what we want to see, except the pool, right? There's still a master plan trying to determine what the future of City Park Pool is. Um, we just know that its age and conditions are going to force our hand. And regardless of what that master plan says, whether it says reinvest in what's there or clean slate it and, you know, do something different, it's going to cost a significant amount of money. And then finally, uh, for next year's budget, uh, you know, expect an even tougher conversation uh, next year. We've got the elimination of that multi-residential classification. The backfill will uh, uh, continue its phase out. It's a non-assessment year, so we're not going to see that bump. And we know, looking at the building permits the last two years, that we're not going to have a ton of new growth coming online. So you're really probably looking at negative to stagnant, at best, uh, taxable growth. We think we'll be pretty stable with utility rates. Um, I feel really good about water and sewer rates where they stand right now. I think we've done a really nice job um, uh, stabilizing those. And then um, all these other things that uh, we've continued to, continued to touch on. The uh, uh, takeaways from this budget, um, we are, uh, I think, successfully navigating the first decline in taxable valuation in over a decade. And, and we are doing this with a, a nominal rate uh, decrease uh, through the uh, emergency levy, which Rachel touched on. We are still trying to take what we can and invest in those council strategic priorities. We don't have to dial anything back, which is good whenever we make these investments, whether it's in staff or new initiatives, we really do it with the hope that we never have to dial those back and we're not having to. We are able to add to a few things uh, on, a, on a minor uh, level here and there. And then um, I think we've done a really nice job setting the table for those future public facilities and, and in the CIP and, and just in conversations this next year, you're going to see that become a much higher priority for us. So I appreciate your time. I know it's a lengthy presentation. Uh, we are happy to answer any questions that you have uh, before we start to focus on departments. Um, but I'll turn it back over to you, Mayor, to see how you want to proceed from here. Thank you all for your uh, presentation. I really appreciate taking some time and giving us an overview. We'll be hearing from all the departments um, as we move forward. Council, are there questions that you have at this point, realizing that there will be um, more in-depth conversation by some of the department heads as they uh, do their presentation? I just want to make a quick comment that I mean, it doesn't help us at all, but I was having a conversation with Representative Jacoby yesterday about 
state taxes and and the and we went back to the 2013 property tax reform which he is someone who's been doing the the, the money up at in des moines for a long time basically labeled the worst thing the state legislature has ever done for communities and cities i have a, a one question and maybe a few comments uh, one one question i have relates to the increase in assessed values jeff which i think you said averaged out to be three percent yes this past year um, that's something i would be interested in understanding just in terms of trending is that a, is that a number you know that has been lower in the past or you know where we stand with that i i would also think uh it would be an interesting percentage to look at at a finer grain meaning you know how does that play out at a more local level within Iowa City? There are certain parts of Iowa City which may be seeing 10% increases in assessed value and others that are relatively flat. And um, I, I think that assessed value is, a, is an important measurement because it, it speaks to how property values are holding up uh, over time and, you know, those those areas where we might see a flat or possibly even an, a decrease in assessed value um, would be an area of concern. Um, you know, what, what is it that's causing uh, those property values to remain flat? Um, so that's, that's one thing that I think is an important variable uh, looking forward. Um, another thing that I've always found puzzling, because I've seen this now in several budget discussions, is the um, the property tax rate in Ames. I'm always interested in these comparable analyses, and uh, the Ames property tax, similar sort of university town um, in size, and their property tax rate is quite lower than Iowa City's or any any of the cities within the state of Iowa. It's really at the, the low end. So that's another comment I would make. And then, you know, there has been a lot of emphasis on the road conditions, and that, that too, is a major concern of mine. Um, you know, I think as staff has been emphasizing, uh, we have, uh, you know, we're a city, we're a legacy city in part. We have older parts of Iowa City, and, and that's something that the, the road management plan highlighted was the distribution of streets that are in bad repair are not found equally distributed throughout Iowa City. There is, a, there is a concentration of poorer quality streets in the legacy portions of the city. Um, so, you know, some of us may be living in Iowa City and thinking, God, what's the problem with the roads? <laughs> you know, if you live in a newer neighborhood, you know, they're in pretty good shape. So it may, it may be you only experience where, where, where we have problems if you're driving through the core of Iowa City and then you start seeing, you know, what we're talking about. So, you know, I know I've emphasized this point before, but, but the realities of living in Iowa City uh, vary depending upon your, your location uh, and, you know, the, the condition of the environment in which you are living. Uh, and, and, you know, it's great to get an overall picture um, but I would say at the same time, you know, how, how if we were to develop budgets for, for the city on a more fine grain, what those might look like in terms of identifying needs and concerns, um, because they will vary from, 
from neighborhood or district to district. Um, and then the last thing I would say is, the, is this lost question. It, it does seem that that is looming. I think we've reached a point, we've been talking about it for a long time, uh, where we may need to seriously consider that because uh, I'm all for trying to streamlining services, identifying new revenue sources, but it does seem we may be facing a point where um, an increase in our revenues at the scale of what lost would give us may be something uh, we need to seriously consider at this point. Um, so those are some of my, my introductory thoughts. I'm not going to borrow your microphone. Oh, I don't know if absolutely. Tell me something. That's <laughs> 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 thank you. Um, just a couple uh, things. First of all, uh, thank you, city staff. Uh, this is a huge document. Um, going through this uh, is my first time through this process. Uh, was struck by the amount of work uh, and ongoing work, obviously from years past and, and moving forward. So thank you all for the hard work and time and effort that you put into creating this. Um, for a new person, it was incredibly understandable, clear, um, and obviously a lot of work went into it. So thank you all for that. Uh, one thing I think that I would find interesting to, uh, for information that we can then pass on to the residents of Iowa City, uh, because as we make these decisions based on, you know, trying to give them uh, the best possible city, uh, is talking about some of these cuts, um, the, the big, basically the big uh, um, tax rebates for landlords. And I'd really be interested to know how many of these landlords reside in Iowa City and how many of them are out of this community and out of state. Essentially saying, as the burden will fall more and more on our uh, local owners, um, how much of these, uh, these uh, gifts from Des Moines are actually flowing out of our community. So as the burden stay here, um, and these, you know, these big apartment complexes, I mean, we provide services for everybody in our city, no matter, you know, who owns the property, and we think we do a good job of that. Uh, we increase their property value, their investment, by all the things we provide from our public safety to our parks and recreation to our transportation. I mean, we are helping their business model. I'm really curious how much of this hit we're taking is actually money that's flowing right out of our community and probably right out of our state. So I know that's a lot of, you know, that uh, you probably won't have any fine grain, but some sort of a picture of that because we're going to have to be telling uh, the other residents of our community why we're making these decisions and, and where is this going and who is it benefiting um, as the crunch comes on them. Either they have to be satisfied potentially with lesser services, less protection, or um, or you know, being charged with it, some other kind of tax or fee. So I uh, don't expect you to have that answer off the top of your head, but that's something as we go through this process, I would be really interested to know. I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, former Councillor Mims. Uh, when I first got on the council, she <clears throat> harped over and over again about the Moody's AAA reading, and I really, I'd never heard of it before and didn't really understand the importance of it. It took me a while before I really understood it, and by now, and, and seeing the documents, it is really important. And I think we do have it in our strategic, strategic plan, and I think we should continue to put an emphasis on that to, to uh, maintain that AAA Moody's rating. I have a couple of clarifying questions, if I may, um, and I'll refer to a couple of slides, but I also want to, to reiterate and repeat and thank 
uh, staff for the immense amount of work and the clarity. Uh, somebody who's not all that familiar with numbers, uh, this is getting these these overviews in the big picture and also what's going to come from each department um, is really appreciated. And thank you for walking us through this. Um, it's it really, really helpful. That said, I have a couple of clarifying questions, um, and they're disparate. So the first one actually refers to, I believe it's slide, well, it has to do with hotel motel. So I think it's slide 24. Um, and there was a bar graph that was showing that the highest revenue, I think, was at 2019, so pre-COVID. Um, and I also know that council and development from 2016 to 2019, there was a lot of discussion about the number of hotels that were being put up. And, and we did see a, a really pretty marked increase. My question is, um, it was sort of suggested that as we get to quote unquote post-pandemic or get out of the pandemic or whatever you want to call it, those numbers may increase. Is there an expectation from staff um, in a predictive way that when <clears throat> life is a little more stable, um, that, that that spike that we see, that highest bar, that that will be where hopefully or um, uh, the prediction is that hotel use will be back up in that 2019 range? Y yes, I think that's our, that's our hope. So, so this, um, this year, what you saw here is this is when the Sheridan was converting to the graduate, this little mm -hmm. dip here. So we had a, a major, our largest hotel was closed for a good portion. And once the graduate opened and we were kind of full, fully filled, uh, that's our peak. And then you're right, the COVID, this is our bounce back from COVID where we kind of expect to be. We project flat. This is a pretty conservative um, uh, kind of projection across here. I, I would like to think that when we look at actuals an, a year from now, that we'll be closer to, to that top level. Um, but the only, the only way to really grow this is to get more market share, essentially to build more rooms and, and take more of that hotel share uh, from other neighboring cities or to see those average daily night rates increase. Uh, in other words, just the demand um, to go in. And, you know, we saw that coming out of COVID and, and so much of this depends on, you know, the success of UI athletics and, you know, whether Hancher's operating at full steam and those types of things. So, you know, if we can continue to, uh, um, kind of manage through COVID, we should see a bounce back to that fiscal year 19 number. Thank you. Um, another one, actually, this is a really easy question. So I'll throw that one in the middle here. What is the difference between a bike boulevard and a bike lane? Uh, a bike lane is going to be striped on um, okay. a road. A bike boulevard is going to be non-striped, but it's signed. It's kind of a okay. designated as a safe biking alternative, but maybe where we didn't have enough pavement width to actually put a, a lane in there. So it's generally a road in which there's lower traffic speeds, lower traffic volumes, and we say, it's okay, it's pretty safe to drive in the street here. We try to put more signs up so that motorists are... A, kind of looking out uh, for uh, bicycles, you might see like share the lane type of signs on a bike boulevard. 
thank you. And then I have one more question, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit more, again, just clarification for me, and it may be just repeating what you did in your original presentation. On slide 32, and it has to do with general fund expenditures, you talked a little bit about um, there's one specific call out on contingency, and you mentioned how this would be, this is um, had to do with uh, expanding the fire department yeah. personnel and the station. Can you explain yeah. that again for me, please? Yeah, so um, in your CIP, you will note that the design for fire station five is included for the first time. So uh, uh, returning council members are aware that we have bought uh, land for two future fire stations. One is a, is a new fire station, fire station five, and then one is kind of a replacement for station three. Um, as we get to building those, we have to have a staffing plan because it's going to be 1.5 to $2 million likely to operate a new fire station. Um, if you've been in the community long enough, you may remember as right before my time uh, when we opened Station 4, there was a lot of controversy on how to actually fund that station. Essentially, the city got to the point where how do we come up with $1.5 million to operate this? Well, that's how we ended up with the one point. Uh, one percentage utility franchise tax. Ultimately, the council had to raise that rate um, to be able to fund that station. And what we're trying to do is get ahead of that. And, and we're doing that by setting aside operating dollars every year. And that's our plan right now. So this year, we've set aside $300,000 um, for future staffing. Now, we're not, that's not like a it's not, uh, you know, um, something that who, the, the balance will carry over from year to year, but essentially next year what we hope to do is set aside 600, the following year 900, all the way till we get to that fifth or sixth year, and we'll have that 1.5 to two, $2 million to where I don't have to come to you and say, we need to increase that utility franchise fee a, a percentage to fund this, or we don't need to increase a property tax rate to fund this. The idea is to incrementally build it in there so it's less less of an ask when that time comes. So you'll see this contingent, that's why you see it in a contingency because it's not really, the, the dollars themselves aren't that critical that we carry over. Um, it's really building that capacity in the budget so we know it's there in five or six years. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so is the idea that um, rather than field of dreams build it and they will come build it and we'll find the money it's a matter of saying when we have a comp the, the amount that can can sustain and, and hold that then Correct. the building will progress yes. so there is no hard target for when the station and the personnel will be put into well place the, saying, we're, we're signaling the target with the building of the station so um, in our fifth year of the CIP, we have the design, so you could imagine construction maybe six years out. That's our current plan. Now, if the council came to us and said, we want to build that station in year two or year three, then we're going to have a little bit of that discussion to say, okay, we don't have money just ready to, to staff this. Um, here are your options. And it may be that we have to increase a, um, a new tax or a, a fee or something to help pay for that. But you're right, what we're trying to do is say, if we're, if we're in agreement, general agreement, that five or six years is the right time frame, then we have a capital plan to build the stations, and now we're having, we're basically implementing an operating plan to staff it. 
um, you'll see a lot of communities that struggle. It's really easy to build a station. Any community can borrow money and build a station. It's really hard to staff 15 new personnel or 12 new personnel, whatever it is we decide to, to, to staff that station with. Thank you so much for that. I have just a couple of hopefully quick questions and maybe they'll be rhetorical and need some further discussion. But um, as we look at all of these converging financial challenges that make it one of the toughest um, budget years in you know a decade or so, uh, you know, it comes to my mind, why is this a year that we're still reducing um, property taxes? And so I know that uh, a revelation for me as a counselor was the certain levies can only fund certain things. And so this year we're proposing a reduction in the emergency levy of four cents so my couple of questions number one what dollar amount does that four cent reduction equate to if you have a general idea um it, it we're probably roughly about fifty thousand a penny is that kind of a good balance so maybe two hundred thousand dollars we're talking about okay so not a big financial no, impact no this this is not a big financial impact are there things that were requested or proposed that if if that particular levy had that additional two hundred thousand dollar income that we would want to be funding? Uh, you know that's an emergency levy, so council mm -hmm. has to you know you really have to decide something's at an emergency level. This wouldn't be something to say, you know, let's go fund a consulting study for a, a planning effort. We really wouldn't do that out of this type of levy. Um, if there were climate action initiatives, if there was flood resiliency uh, initiatives, then we, we could look at this. Um, as, as we kind of mentioned during the presentation, I'd be really, really hesitant to put any type of staff expense on this. So while we do have staffing needs, I wouldn't think that this is the appropriate levy. That's a long-term commitment for a levy. I think you really want to keep, uh, uh, it's a long-term commitment on a, a levy that should be pretty flexible. So I think the short answer is no. Okay, thank you. Uh, I want to ask just um, one or two other quick questions. Um, one you, you briefly mentioned in with respect to the road use, uh, the road use tax, the, the potential undercount in the census. Um, is that our, do you have any idea if we're planning to, to request um, that they look back at our census numbers, and I understand that doesn't take that doesn't take place immediately, but is that is one way to recoup this down the road? Yeah, so you can you can we can request like a technical challenge, but um, that's not going to be really helpful for us. Basically, we'd have to 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 kind of prove that hey, you you missed a neighborhood, like you you physically didn't count this neighborhood. The, the problem is is they they walked the neighborhoods they sent the letters but we had a good portion of our population that that wasn't in town um so uh the prevailing thought is that's not going to be helpful for us college towns um there's uh um we're, we're looking at a consortium of college towns are kind of looking at how else to challenge there's not a clear way through the census um, uh, in a couple of years, the census will open up a special census process in which cities um, can request that they come in and do a recount. And we can look at that. The challenge is you have to pay for that cost up front. So we'd be looking at a million dollar plus cost to have the Census Bureau come in. 
and then you're crossing your fingers and hoping that count comes in good um, uh, because the return on investment is really what you're looking at. So I've done special censuses before. I've seen them pay off. Um, I've seen it to where the city's invested in them, and unfortunately the, the count didn't come in as high as they wanted, and, and they they didn't return. So we're still exploring all those possibilities, but uh, at this point I don't have a clear answer. Thanks. Another very quick question is, um, with respect to the water shutoff deficit that we're in right now, can any is it is it currently legit to 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 backfill any of that with ARPA funds? Um, yes, we could, and that's that's one option that the council would have is to take um, essentially ARPA funds, use them as lost revenue, and then wipe the slate clean. Essentially, transfer that six hundred thousand dollars over to the respective utility accounts and and say from this point forward we're going to reinstate the policy and right off the bat there's nobody that's that's subject to the water shut off now you know if you continue not to pay for a couple months that may come at you but you you could do something like that yes thank you seems like we have a lot of opportunities for some work session discussion <laughs> on some of these items so i'm going to uh, reframe uh, from uh, just some of the my comments because a lot of them were touched on, and I realize that they're going to be more in-depth conversations to come. <laughs>